are listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. I hope you are having a wonderful week. I want to get right into the Word tonight. But first, I want to thank you all for joining us. Feel free to comment. Feel free to send questions. Feel free to ask um, anything you'd like me to deal with on a future subject. Uh, I want to, if, if possible, I want to I want to serve you. Uh, that said, that's actually what I'm teaching about right now. Uh, there's a pretty popular phrase that has been around the American church for a while, and perhaps, perhaps the whole world, I don't know, but uh, I know the American church a little bit better than the rest of the world, and that is this, what would Jesus do, WWJD. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I think if, if my quick historical review is correct, I think the, the, the phrase was first coined by the rather famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he wrote, uh, well, actually, they published his sermons. He was, he was a celebrity preacher, um, perhaps as big as any of the modern-day celebrity preachers in his time. Uh, he published a message in 1891, and in the... In the message, he coined that phrase, what would Jesus do? Now, he referenced an earlier book that had been written in Latin uh, by Thomas Kempis in uh, the 15th century. And in that book, the 15th century book, uh, Thomas Kempis had uh, created this phrase, uh, I think I can get it correctly, imitatio Christi, which is the imitation of Christ, if said in if said in the Latin, uh, so referencing that, the celebrity preacher Charles Spurgeon preached a message and created this phrase: "What would Jesus do?" It still wasn't uh, as popular as it would become. Now, that was done later on, uh, just a few years after Spurgeon, 1896. Um, Charles Sheldon wrote a book entitled "In His Steps." That was the primary title, but the subtitle was What Would uh, Jesus Jesus Do? And now, uh, Charles Sheldon was a Congregationalist preacher, and he had he ministered in Topeka, Kansas. And if a little uh, trivia here, this is around about the time right after this that we would have the testimony of uh, people receiving the Holy Spirit um, and speaking in tongues in Topeka, Kansas. It would just be a, a few years later after this. Uh, Charles Sheldon, as a Congregationalist uh, pastor, preacher, uh, he did a series of, of sermons on this. And he, now he was very much a devotee of Christian socialism, which is, you've probably, you've probably heard that used in a negative way uh, as critiquing um, this movement and using the term the social gospel, which, uh, at least speaking for myself, I had heard that used as a critique many, many times as a young preacher. I had to sort of come of age to uh, get disciplined enough to do my own research and come up with my own and my own opinions about things. I think one of the weaknesses of being young, hopefully we all grow out of this. I'm afraid some people don't, they never do, but um, ideally, as we grow in maturity and the like, um, we stop just taking fully formed, whole cloth opinions from other people, and we start asking ourselves, okay, how did we get here? 
um, what's who has the various positions in this disagreement. Well, the result of that was uh, social gospel is really the idea that it doesn't do any good if you give someone truth if they're hungry um, and cold. Now, this is referencing the words of Jesus that um, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't clothe me when I was naked. Um, this would later become a much large movement and would be celebrated by such books as The Whole in the Gospel um, and the like. Uh, as a church, we are a community of faith, and that faith must be expressed. And the expression of that faith is not debating truth, although we have things we hold profoundly dear. The expression of that has to be uh, a relationship to the rest of the world. That's where the testimony lies. Now, there is a testimony in right relationship one to another. That, that is true and, I, and, and, and biblical. Um, however, the real attention getter is when the church has healthy relationships with the unchurched. Uh, and there that our testimony cannot be refuted. Uh, this is the story of the New Testament church. Um, even if you didn't agree with them, you admired them. That is how Christianity became really so influential in the ancient world, uh, where even the emperors who hated it and wanted to go back to the old gods, um, they, they admitted that these Christians had done so much good work that if they were ever going to have the same influence the Christians had, they needed to start doing things like the Christians did, which was caring for the sick, uh, building hospitals, taking care of uh, orphans and widows. And uh, this is part of the, the Christian manifestation of the heart of Jesus Christ. And uh, we are energetic Christians, shall we say. Um, we are energetic worshipers. And, and that's, that, is, that is absolutely who we want uh, to be. But our only, our only witness cannot be one to another in a church service. Because that, you know, that's not the way you develop influence in your generation, in your city, in your neighborhood. You, you have to have these right relationships outside. And so the writer, Charles Sheldon, wrote this book, Encouraging Christians to Make a Difference in Their World, um, not just to hold faith, but to make a, a, a literal, measurable, uh, actionable, specific change in their world. Now, I think every church has a an awareness of this, and every church wrestles with how, how to do it. Uh, if you review all the things that have been attempted to be done you, you, by various churches, various movements, you quickly learn how difficult it is, um, particularly in this day and time. Um, it, it can be quite challenging to help people. Um, it can be, there's a fine line between assisting them and empowering that which is killing them. Um, it's, it's difficult. However, that tension is right where we're supposed to be, that wrestling of how can I make a difference? How can I help? It's not accidental. It's not as though God messed up his planning and now he's scratching his head in glory saying, man, I didn't realize it was going to be so difficult. No, <laughs> that's all a cop out. Um, the truth is we have to wrestle with this. Um, in many ways as a church, um, we, we've, we've done well. In many ways we haven't. And we are stuck right in that tension of having a demonstration of the heart of Jesus Christ to a world we say he gave his life to save. So 
That is how this phrase, what would Jesus do, became so popular because of this famous book written by Charles Sheldon. The interesting thing is that in his excitement, he forgot to copyright it. (laughs) And so once it got a little popular, it was printed by everybody who thought to make some money off of it. Um, Charles Sheldon didn't get that money. The publishers that printed an uh, uncopyrighted work uh, got that money. But it may have been a good thing because the message went around the world. There were over 30 million uh, copies of this book that were that were published uh, all as a result uh, because uh, Sheldon and his original publisher had made a mistake and not and not established uh, copyright over over that book. And so uh, this novel would end up being, and it was a novel, interestingly enough, uh, it would be translated into 21 languages by 1935. And the the, the basic idea is that uh, character, Reverend Henry Maxwell, encounters a homeless man, and this homeless man challenges him to take seriously the imitation of Christ. And this homeless man has difficulty understanding why Christians ignore the poor. Well, that's not fair. And uh, we need to be fair. Um, Otherwise, we lose authenticity and we become an ideologue. Uh, We become someone who espouses an ideology. And the moment you do that, your statements start getting simple. And um, you can reach simple people, but intelligent people are like, ah, not so much. Uh, we don't want to have that kind of a relationship where we're, our, ide- our ideology makes it where we can only uh, reach people who agree with us. Um, that, there's plenty of churches that, that are, without a meaning to, are structured that way. So we have to speak very precisely, and it's not exactly fair to say Christians don't care about the poor, um, even though it might fit some people's agenda. Um, what's probably more accurate is that there are some Christians who don't care about the poor. Um, that's, we're probably getting closer to something that is fair enough that we can learn from when we say it. There is a challenge in the gospel that we cannot present hope for their soul without caring for, for the needs of their body. Now, that, that isn't simply my ideology or what I'm pounding the table on. Uh, this, is, this is truly uh, represented in in the works, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now that I've kind of caught you up on how we got to WWJD, what would Jesus do? Let's, let's play a little mind game. If Jesus was here in the flesh walking among us, what would he be doing? Now, this is not a trick question because nobody knows the exact answer to it. Um, I, my experience with this has heard people I've heard people critiquing um, churches, and they would say things like that. If Jesus was here, he would never go to that church. Well, that, that may be true. If Jesus was here, he might never go to that church. He might not be known for teaching in the huge buildings of super churches. Um, but if that's all you say about it, then you, again, you make an, ide- you make an ideology um, out, out of something that you don't really know. Um, so let's, let's think about this. Um, what happens at churches? Churches are where people come together and learn fellowship, worship, um, and as it were, to celebrate this man, Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus may not would go to a super church. He might very much be at the hospital. 
I'm, I'm fairly comfortable with that. I hope he would be there and heal every sick person. And hopefully your loved ones and my loved ones would be those sick people who were healed. Um, it's possible Jesus would never go to um, the super church, but he, he might go down to the homeless shelter. I'm comfortable with that. But let me try to be fair to all the churchgoers. A lot of those churchgoers go to that church because they're seeking Jesus. And if they knew Jesus was somewhere else, they would go there. So I think that's fair. Um, I, I hope, I, I want to say, uh, without being you know, self-serving, I want to say that I hope that's who I am, that if I knew Jesus was there, I'd be like, let's go there. Um, this, this has to be kind of the foundations of our, of our devotion. Um, I don't know if it's helpful to play these mind games, but I did it for a very specific reason. Uh, I don't know whether or not Jesus would go to churches to be a part of the celebration, worship, etc. I don't know if Jesus would go to uh, big churches, small churches. I don't know if he would go to conferences. I don't know what he would go to organizational events. Um, pretty sketchy on that one, to be honest with you, though. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, but I, I think he would, he, would make the, he would make wherever he was his church. That, that's probably, but I don't know. Why are we asking ourselves this? Why are we wrestling with what would Jesus do? Well, there's a point to it. Perhaps Jesus would go to homeless shelters. Perhaps he would, um, perhaps he would go to Washington, D.C. and eat with sinners. <laughs> Maybe he would go to New York City and eat with sinners. Maybe he would go to... Uh, Hollywood and eat with sinners. You get the idea. Um, let me say what I do think I know. I can't tell you whether or not Jesus would go to a specific church or homeless shelter or hospital or eat with sinners at the publishing house. I, I don't know. But let me tell you what I do believe he would be doing. Wherever he chose to go, whatever people he sought to be with, he would be serving them spiritually and in many ways in the needs of their very bodies, healing them. He would be serving them. And so if you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And you don't really want to fight about it. You really just want to find your next spiritual, authentic step. I think here's a pretty safe place to put your foot. Wherever Jesus was at, he would be serving. I think service is the fundamental essential, necessary element that is visible in the ministry, the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, service does us uh, things for us that we as believers need to embrace. We need to see. Um, the first thing that uh, serving does um, is it, it promotes unity. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of military people uh, interviewed um, but I, I've, I've actually read a fair number of books um, that were biographies, autobiographies of military people. And all of them talk about, not all of them, but many of them will talk about how in a circumstance of terror, uh, uh, combat, uh, even hard, hard training, um, a lot of the divisions of humanity go away. You know, what teams you like, what your ethnicity is, uh, all of that is suddenly washed out. Because you now are in a, uh, a dramatic, terrifying uh, circumstance where you have to do something. You have to 
assault that position. You have to take that heel. You have to carry this log. You, you understand. Um, and it washes out all the stuff that divides you. Now, back in your units, you know, base in your barracks, you might have argued about anything. Who's going to win the Super Bowl, blah, 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 kind of food. But now, in the face of crisis, all that's forgotten. Um, something has to be done. I think service does that to the church. I think people who are busy helping others are much less prone to turn on one another, much less prone to hurt, to speak ill. Um, I think most of church damage is done by bored, self-centered Christians. If they had been busy, they would not have been the meddlesome tools of the devil. (laughs) Uh, I think serving promotes unity. So wherever you think Jesus would be if he was physically here, wherever he was, he would be serving. The second thing is teamwork builds, excuse me, uh, serving builds teamwork. Now, how do, what, what's different in teamwork and unity? Unity is really our ability to work one with another. Teamwork is the f- effectiveness with which we work. Um, once you lay down all those differences, you're able to start appreciating what the other person's good at. And you're able to start integrating the abilities and the talents of another person. It's no longer just, can we get along? Hopefully you've moved on into how can we uh, synergetically be more than the sum of our parts? How can your gifts complement my gifts? I, I I think this joining together of abilities and talents is is really the heart the 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 heart the beautiful heart I should say of of the gospel and uh, because serving fosters teamwork creating appreciation one for another um, I I like to think of it in this way that service becomes an expression of grace one to another um, Service, whether you're on the receiving of service or whether you have reconciled with others, formed a team, set a plan, and are working out that plan, this service-based, unity service-based teamwork becomes an expression of grace to someone, an undeserved gift that we give to someone else. Um, In fact, I would say service is the language of grace. Service is the language of grace. Now, you can say and talk and brag, but when you serve, it cuts through all the differences, where we're from, what teams you like, what food you like, what your background is. It cuts through all of that, and we are able to help uh, one one another. And the third thing, um, I believe that service is the living out of WWJD. So what would Jesus do? He would serve. He would trade his life for others. He would give his time uh, to others. Um, Albert Schweitzer uh, once said, example is not the best way of teaching. It's the only way of teaching. (laughs) In other words, at the end of the day, uh, lectures don't really hit the target. It's example that uh, makes a difference. One of the things our leadership team here at First Church, we often say one to another, is that we don't create culture, we be culture. Now, that isn't correct English, obviously, but we don't really create culture. We, we either are it or we're faking it. Um, we, 
want to have a culture of service to other people. We deeply believe that service one to another is the language, the language of grace, and it is the imitation of uh, the life, the ministry, the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are so many, so many passages of Scripture that I could, I could refer you to that you could consider in light, in light of this. The one that I think is, shows the desires of the human heart versus the call of the ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, as good as any of them, is Matthew 23, uh, verse number 11 and 12. And this is where, uh, well, it's really the context. It's chapter number 23. Uh, I'll quote in just a moment from verses 11 and 12. Um, but this is really where the, the question of the followers of Jesus, the, the sons of thunder, kind of uh, trying to figure out how they can get to the head of the line. And they're like, we want to sit on your, sit on your right hand. We want, to be your, we want to be your chief of staff. We want to be the main decision maker after you. We want there to be Jesus and then us. And Jesus corrects them, and not, not, not especially gently. He corrects them, and he says, look, verses 11 and 12, the greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself uh, will be exalted. So after we're done with all of the arguments about whether or not Jesus would go to this church or that church, or Jesus would do this or that, or support your ministry, or show up at your organizational event, after all that's done, let's just, let's just find a steady place to stand. And let's say this, the ministry of Jesus Christ is about service. It is about caring. Uh, it is about both spiritually and physically helping and making a difference in people's life. And so what would Jesus do? Figure it out. Think of your talents. Get your abilities. Join them with others. Join them with a the church body. If you don't like my church, find a church and go to that church and let your talents be joined one with another and let's make a difference and witness the one who changed our heart to the world, not just with lectures, not, with, not just with rhetorical proclamations, but let's witness it with our lives. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that you would allow uh, this heart of the gospel to be expressed in our, our church family. Let it, first of all, take root in our lives and our heart, and let us find ways, uh, appropriate, natural, healthy, godly ways of helping, assisting, uh, praying for, embracing, including uh, needy people. Because this is what the core of the gospel really is. Don't let us be like uh, the sons of thunder who they are all about status. They're all about exaltation, but they miss the service that's at the core of your nature and your heart. Let us repent when we've had that attitude. Let us refocus ourselves upon this life of demonstrated service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, we love you. Have a great week, and we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. 
you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.